The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to continue today with the subject we've been preaching on for quite a while now based on Psalm 19 and verse 4, which says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And we've entitled this series, Acceptable Words. And by way of review, I just want to give the titles of the previous messages because I think there has been six so far. And today uh, may be the last one, but we'll just have to wait and see how the Lord directs. But the first one, we ask the question, why is this an important subject? And the main verse we looked at was the verse in Proverbs that, or rather, I believe it's in Ecclesiastes, that says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So that's a stark contrast. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can destroy or you can build up with what you say. And then we talked about uh, what we should speak or what we should say. And then how we should speak. Then when we should speak and then the consequences of what we say. And then last time we talked about how your words benefit you. Now today we want to talk about how your words benefit or how your words affect others. And you'll see that some of the things we refer to have been mentioned in previous messages. But I believe this message is so important because it goes right along with what our general focus should be in life. And that is, as Jesus came not to be ministered to, but to minister, likewise we should want to do the same. And when we talk about how our words affect others, that's what we're doing. We're not focusing on ourselves. We're focusing on other people. And as Jesus focused on ministering to others, so we are focusing on ministering to others when we think about how our speech affects other people. Now, this can affect them in a negative way or in a positive way. And obviously, if we want to think about how Jesus ministered to others, we want to think about the positive effect of how our words may affect others. But first of all, we need to think about the uh, negative, that is, how your words can hurt other people. And that'll help us appreciate more the need to help other people with what we say. 
So let's begin in uh, Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 18. And I just want to read the first half of this proverb because like many of the other proverbs, it contrasts the bad with the good. And we'll want to focus on the good later on in this message. Now in Proverbs chapter 12, in verse 18, the first part of that proverb says, There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Now notice this just gives or establishes the general idea because it says there is. In other words, here's, here's something you can observe in life. Here's something you'll take note of as you live your life. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. There are things people say that deeply hurt other people. That's the idea. He's not talking about anything in, in, in particular, but just getting that general concept across that people can say things that are deeply hurtful. They're like the piercings of a sword. And I want you to see how this can go from somewhat mild to very severe. You know, some things... Uh, slightly offend us and we forget about it maybe by the next day and there's some things that are deeply hurtful and possibly we may never forget about it you know we should and can forgive the other person but we all need to be mindful of that that we can say things that are uh, deeply hurtful to other people now notice in uh Psalm, or rather Proverbs 15 and verse 1. And here's another contrast, but we just want to focus on the, the bad part for now. Proverbs 15 and 1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. So notice here it's not talking about so much as things that are hurtful. This is not talking about things you say that are like the piercings of a sword, but it's just talking about your, your attitude and your general manner of talking. That's what grievous words are. Words that will provoke arguing. Words that will provoke strife or discord. He says grievous words, hard words, tend to stir up anger. And notice that's in contrast to a soft answer. And one of the best ways to define and understand grievous words is to consider that contrast. What are grievous words? There are words that are in contrast to a soft answer. You see, you control how you respond. You control how you initiate a conversation with other people. You decide whether your words are going to be grievous 
are soft. You know, when you work with other people uh, on your job, I know uh, my children in some of their jobs, they've talked about uh, conflicts that you may have, for example, with customers. And you have to treat the customer right regardless of how you feel. You may say, well, I try to use a soft answer, but with some people it just doesn't seem to make any difference. We well, you know Jesus acknowledged, uh, or rather Paul wrote, and you'll have to look this particular verse up. Uh, to me, one of the evidences that God is blessing you to preach is when verses come to your mind in the pulpit that you hadn't studied out in advance. But I believe uh, this is in one of Paul's letters. He said, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, some people uh, misinterpret that and they say, well, they're just impossible. I just, I can't treat them right. They're just, they're too hard. Well, that's not what he's saying. If that were the case, we would always give ourselves an out and say, well, I can't help but being harsh with them because they're so hard toward me. You see, human nature wants to find a way out or find a way that, that this is a unique situation and certainly it's an exception to what the Bible says. No, what that verse is teaching is, as much as lieth in you live peaceably with all men, that's simply saying make sure you're not the one doing wrong. Let's say you're talking to a customer and they're being totally unreasonable and they have no regard for how nice you're trying to be and you're doing your best and that doesn't affect them at all. They continue to be hard and unreasonable. Well, what you're doing in that situation is you're trying as much as lieth in you to live peaceably with them. It's okay, and the Lord's not displeased if you hang up the phone and the person on the other end is angry with you, they, they, they don't want to, to have anything else to do with you. That's okay if you've strived as much as within you to live peaceably with all men. Now, I know that's not easy. And I don't know of any other subject I've preached that Every day I think about something I say that shows that I'm not doing what I'm preaching. But see, grievous words are the kind of words that that impossible person is using against you when you're trying to cooperate. And so you don't want to be like that person. Now notice how this gets more severe. You know, those are the kind of things that usually when you get home, you can say, well, you know, that's not a friend of mine. I've never even met that person. Maybe you've never even seen them. You just talk to them on the phone. So it's easy or it, it's easier than some of the other situations we'll look at not to take that personal. But look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 8, and keep in mind that these, this exact same verse is also in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 22. 
Now, if the exact same verse is in there twice, it must be very important. Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Now, this is more than just grievous words. This is someone that has heard something about you that may or may not be true. Remember, just because you know something doesn't mean you should tell it. Remember we talked about that early on. Just because you know something doesn't mean you should tell it. A talebearer is a person that either is, knows something about you that's not good, that it will not benefit you to tell other people about it. That's a talebearer. They know something about you, and they have no good motive in telling other people. And he says the words of a talebearer are like wounds and go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Now here's that idea of something that hurts you deeply. You know, and this is especially true in small communities like we live in here. What if someone had made the false accusation or began circulating about one of you uh, married men here that you've been sort of involved with another woman? And somebody says, now, I don't think, that, I don't think fornication's been committed, but I've seen them together and they go out to eat and there's definitely something going on. And somebody takes that tail and runs with it. And if that's not true, if you're a man that is very conscientious and committed to your marriage and you believe in loving and staying with your wife based on a commitment and a covenant before God, that can be like wounds that go down to the innermost parts of the belly. And it'll certainly apply to the, the wife as well. What if it came back to you that somebody was saying, well, she's just a big flirt. She's married and acts like she's not married. Those kinds of tales can go down into the innermost parts of the belly. And we don't want to be guilty of doing that to other people. That's what Solomon was referring to when he said death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can kill other people's spirit with your words. And notice there's one even harder than that. In uh, Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 18, A man that beareth false witness. Now, a talebearer may be telling something that's true or not true, but if it is something that's true, it's something that doesn't need to be told to other people. But here it's made clear that now we're talking about uh, someone that's bearing false witness. Here's someone telling something that is not true about you. 
A man that beareth false witness against his neighbor, and that doesn't just mean the person living next door. A neighbor is anyone that you have regular interaction with. Somebody you work with in the sense of this verse is your neighbor. Someone that you are a, a member of a club with that you see regularly. In the sense of this verse, you're their neighbor. He says, a man that beareth false witness against his neighbor, listen to this, is a maul and a sword and a sharp arrow. Notice he doesn't just say it's like a sword. But he says he's a, a maul and a sword and a sharp arrow. If you tell lies about other people and the people you tell those lies to believe them, it can be very hurtful. Now let's use the rest of our time to talk about how our words can and should help people because that's how we imitate Jesus. You know, I like that verse about Jesus that just says, he went about doing good. You know, wouldn't it be nice if somebody thought so highly of you that that was what was on your tombstone? He went about doing good. You know, we read tombstones where it says, gone but not forgotten, or beloved father, or beloved mother. But what if you came across one that says, he went about, or she went about, doing good? You know, it was said of Noah and Enoch that they walked with God. That'd be something good on your tombstone, wouldn't it? If other people, if that's what they thought of you, that they walked with God. Well, Jesus went about doing good. He came not to be ministered to. He didn't come to have good things said about him. Now, I like when people say good things about me. And I assure you that in today's world, you're not going to spoil the average preacher by speaking well of him because most preachers I know are discouraged. That's the problem today, not arrogance. I know there's exceptions to the rule, but the main problem I see is discouragement. We like to have good things said about us. And when somebody says something good or encouraging to me, I feel great for a few minutes, and then I'm dwelling again on all the things that I think about me that are bad. So we need to encourage each other. But see, your focus is not to, to think about other people needing to encourage you. Your focus is to say, I want to be like Jesus and I want to go about helping others. And if you can't help people any other way, you can help them with your words. And let's see what the... Scriptures say about that. In Proverbs 12, 18, we looked at the first part of that. Look at that again and we'll focus on the, the other part of it. Proverbs 12, 18, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise 
is health. Now, the word wise uh, carries the idea of living life in a skillful way. Now, think about all the different skills that people have. Maybe they have skills with sports. Maybe they have skills with gymnastics. That's an impressive skill, isn't it? Maybe they have a skill of playing football. Maybe your job is a special skill. That's one of the things you hear often mentioned, that uh, in today's uh, workforce, they need people with special skills. The most important skill that you will ever develop that is more important and will benefit you more than any other skill, I don't care if you're a brain surgeon, this will benefit you more than any other skill, and that is the skill of living life right. That'll benefit you more than any other skill. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is to have that discernment and that ability to judge manners, to think about what's before you, and to know how to handle that situation, how to maneuver through that situation. You know, I've been recently trying to uh, look for a house. There's not very many houses for sale in Pickens County, or not many houses that I would want, and then there's some that I couldn't afford. But you know, the thing that I constantly pray is this. I say, Lord, if it be according to your wisdom, bless me to get a house. And you know why I pray that? Because God sees, now listen, you need to remember this, God sees and knows every aspect and detail of your future. Now, what if I'm praying, Lord, uh, I pray you would give me a house. I want a house. I demand a house. I am going to buy a house. What if the Lord knows I'm going to have some disability in the near future? What if the Lord, and I have no desire to do this, and I'm not contemplating this, but what if the Lord knows he's going to move me somewhere else in a year? It'd be foolish to buy a house, wouldn't it? You know, and I can say, well, you know, the interest rates are low, lowest they've ever been. You know, I could make my case, but I don't care what decision you're making, and I'm speaking of uh, major decisions, not what kind of dessert you're going to get at the restaurant. I'm talking about life decisions that affect your life. You would be foolish not to say, Lord, if it be according to your wisdom. God knows every speck of detail about the future. God knows his plans for you. God knows what he would have you to do in life. And so it would be to my grave dis disadvantage not to pray that God would lead me and direct me. See, I think sometimes we think, well, as a Christian, I have to sacrifice enjoying life. That's Satan's lie. If you're a Christian, you need to always be praying for God's guidance. And notice what he says here in, uh, in Proverbs uh, 12 and verse uh, 18. Let me turn back to that again. He says, There is that speaketh like the 
piercings of the sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Okay, this person that's wise can counsel other people based on the wisdom they have. Now, in your personal life, you're praying that God will guide you according to His wisdom. Well, if He's guiding you according to His wisdom, that's going to train you to approach life in consideration of the consequences of actions and you can therefore help others, and that's what the word health implies. Health. This is not speaking of physical health. This is speaking of that which is healthy for you as a person in your life. Now think of this. Some people, that if they, in, if they inherited money from their parents, and I know someone in this situation that I'm going to describe. Some people may inherit a lot of money, and you know what they do? They immediately say, man, I want a new car. And that's as far as they go in the decision-making process. I want a new car. You know, I'd be afraid to do that. And you ought to be too, to just say, well, I inherited $100,000. I'm going to go buy me a $50,000 brand new car because that's what I want. You need to go further than that. You need to say, Lord, guide me. God's not against you having nice things. You know, God blessed Israel abundantly in a material way when they obeyed him. But you don't know what's coming down the road. You may need that money for something much more important that you don't realize right now. So he says, uh, I keep having to turn back to this. I keep forgetting exactly how it reads. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is hell. Now, based on the immediate context there, this is said in contrast to hurting other people. So the specific application here would be you having the discernment to know whether or not you should say what you're thinking. See, we need to always be thinking about what we're going to say. There are people that just say whatever they think and they say it to other people and don't consider the consequences. You know, there, there's a time to speak and a time to be silent. Now, I know this may not impress the uh, women's right movement, but the Bible actually teaches that a meek and quiet spirit is in the sight of God of great price, referring to women. That doesn't mean they shouldn't talk. But there are scenarios where it's honoring to God for you to be more passive than your husband is. You know, when I'm discussing a church problem with other men, my wife doesn't give her opinion equally as they do. You know why? That's not an appropriate situation to do that. 
Now, a lot of times when they leave and it's just me and her, she gives me some valuable input. And I end up saying, duh, I didn't even think about that. But what I'm trying to show you, there, there is appropriate times to speak and appropriate times to be quiet. And I can't necessarily give you a, 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 a list of when you should speak and when you shouldn't. That's why you need to pray for God's guidance, God's wisdom. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you and the Holy Spirit, can you can say, Lord, bridle me. Pull back on my tongue. Let me know when to be quiet. And at the same time, Lord, may I have the courage to speak when I should. You know, it's just as bad not to speak uh, when you should, but most of us have a bigger problem, problem speaking when we shouldn't. That's the bigger problem. So he says, the tongue of the wise is health. It doesn't hurt, it helps. It's healthy. Now, look also at Proverbs chapter uh, 15 and verse 7. And I want you to notice now a progression of thought in these next three Proverbs. First of all, the starting point is to be wise, to seek after wisdom, to seek Ask God to help you to discern, to judge, to, to, to uh, have insight to situations and respond accordingly. And of course, it's not just a matter of seeking the guidance of the Spirit. You also need to know what the Word of God says because there are certain uh, instructions in the Bible that you don't need the special guidance of the Holy Ghost. For example, in Ephesians 4.29 it says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to, use, to the use of edifying. There's a good, as we might say, a good rule of thumb. You don't need the special guidance of the Holy Spirit to say, well, this is something that's corrupt, that's not going to help at all, but it's going to tear down. Now, Lord, guide me as to whether or not I should say that. No, you already know you're not supposed to say that. See, that's one of the problems people have today. They want to justify what they do by saying, well, the Lord led me to do this. No, if it's contrary to the Bible, He did not lead you to do it. But what I'm talking about is you take the principles of God's Word and then on top of that pray for the Lord to guide you. Lord, give me discernment when I'm dealing with this problem at work or with this family issue. Help me, Lord. I'm reading Your Word. Oh, help me. Help me to recall the verses at the right time. Give me those convictions of the Spirit. So notice this progression now. Here's what a, per, a wise person will do. In Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 7, the lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the foolish doeth not so. Now, knowledge here 
is referring to truth. It's not just referring to any information you may know. There's a lot of information you know that you don't need to tell. Knowledge here is referring to truth. Truth about morality, truth about character, truth about how to treat other people. And he says that, uh, he says that uh, in 15.7, uh, let me turn back to that again. He says, the lips of the wise disperse knowledge. That word disperse means to scatter. Like the sower sowing seed. You know, one of the old prophets said, blessed are they that sow beside all waters. They that scatter seed beside all waters. Just everywhere they go, anywhere that their words and knowledge could be profitable, it's okay to scatter knowledge wherever you go. It's okay to scatter truth wherever you go and that's what he's talking about here when he says uh that the i tell you i'm just having problems on my memory today uh proverbs uh 15 and 7 he says the lips of the wise disperse knowledge scatters knowledge now notice how this next proverb builds on that same chapter, Proverbs 15 and verse 2. Verse 2, the tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright. See, you need to scatter knowledge wherever you go. But even when it comes to knowledge that is referring to morality, and that which is good and honorable and right, you need to use that knowledge aright. You know, as I've already said, and I told you some of this would overlap, you could speak the truth in a way that's not right. You could take a doctrinal principle of the Bible and say it to someone in a situation where that's not what you need to say at that time. So he's talking here about using knowledge aright as opposed to a wrong. You can use it right or wrong. I've given this example, I believe, before. When Tina's grandmother died, we were at the funeral home, and someone came up to her, and she was crying, and here's what they said. Oh, Tina, she's better off. Okay, that's knowledge, right? That's the truth, isn't it? Paul said to depart and be with Christ is far better. She, she's better off. But they weren't using that knowledge aright. You know why? Because that wasn't the issue. The issue wasn't that she was wondering whether, the issue was not that she was wondering whether or not she made it to heaven. That wasn't the issue. The issue was, I miss her. 
And a wise person would discern things like that. You know, it seems like uh, that's one of the situations where people say some of the most unwise things is at funerals. And I think the reason for that is because people don't know what to say and society's taught them, you got to say something. No, you don't have to say anything. And I think I've shared this also. I knew a man who had a, a PhD in psychology who he regularly counseled people. And here's what he said. He said, when my father died, the person that helped me the most was a friend who came and sat beside me on the bench at the visitation and didn't say anything. He said, that's the person that helped me the most. So see, you can use knowledge aright, or you can use knowledge wrong. And then notice this next step. We should scatter knowledge, and we should use it aright. But look at six, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 21. The wise in heart shall be called prudent. Now what's the difference between wisdom and prudent? You know, wise is the ability to live life skillfully. But the person that is wise, they're going to be called prudent. That is, here's how other people's going to see them. This is what other people are going to see, which is the, a manifestation of wisdom. You see, wisdom is the skill you have. Prudence is how it's manifest to other people. And prudence means that you're a person that can lead, you're a person that can give good counsel, you're a person that can tell someone else how to approach something. You know, I've known a few people in my lifetime that were able to take a situation or a problem and just seem to have a special ability to say, now, maybe if it was, especially if it was a church issue, to say, now, y'all, if we do that, we need to consider this. And a lot of us don't consider this. See? There's, there's people that are prudent that say, now, I'm thinking about how that's going to affect this person in the church. And this that we're doing may be the right thing to do, but we need to think about how it affects this person. You may say, they may say, I know how they're going to react. You see, there's a lot to living life with wisdom. And if you live life with wisdom, you will be called prudent. You know, some people live life like a bull in a china shop, don't they? they just going about doing things, no consideration to how it affects other people. But you know, Paul told the church at Ephesus to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time for the days are evil. What does it mean to redeem the time? You can't take, you can't take back time that's already passed. Redeem the time means to make the best use of the time. And the way to make the best use of the time is to walk circumspectly 
You know, there are people that are in the court system, and I'm sure Brother John Morgan could give you many examples. You know, just in the child support unit, I'm always thinking, you know, if this person would do what is wise, they wouldn't even have a case. And I bet, you know, the majority of issues in court are a result of people not doing things wisely. I'm not talking so much about uh, murder cases, but civil cases. Things that could have easily been resolved using Bible wisdom. And now it's, it's this complex, uh, you know, this, this lawsuit and all these complexities were maybe just following a simple Bible principle. You know, like paying money back you borrow. That's sort of a simple principle, isn't it? There was a time you could do that on a handshake. You better not do that now. You know, and I've noticed, even when, when we had our will done, the terminology, not that our children would cause problems, but the average will, the terminology used is designed to address every possible scenario or every possible exception to the rule. You see, one of our founding fathers said that our, our Constitution is completely inadequate for any people other than a religious and moral people. You can't pass enough laws to govern people that don't discipline themselves to apply Bible wisdom to their life. Man will always look for a way out. Oh, this one word in the contract, that's not what it meant. And since it doesn't mean what you thought it meant, I'm not obligated. When according to common sense and wisdom, you know what it meant. But see, man who is selfish and wants his own way, is always going to try to find a way out. Now, look at this verse in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 21. The wise in heart shall be called prudent, and the sweetness of the lips increaseth learning. You know, some people, I think, believe that if I'm telling somebody the truth, I've got to be real mean with it in order for them to learn the lesson. The Bible teaches just the opposite. Notice what it says. The sweetness of the lips increaseth learning. You can't browbeat someone in order to teach them something. I'm not saying that it's impossible for them to get it that way, but that's not the best way. For example, one of the requirements of a minister and also a deacon is that his children be in subjection with all gravity. Now, what does it mean by the word gravity there? You know, it doesn't take any skill to force, for me to force a three-year-old to obey me. That doesn't take any wisdom. 
All that takes is intimidation. I can get them to comply. I can even force them to comply. If they are refusing to put something back on the table, I can physically take their hand and physically put it back. That doesn't take any wisdom, but when it says their children to be in subjection with all gravity, that means they have a sense of respect toward you that, that gives them a desire to obey you. Now that takes wisdom, doesn't it? For a child to want to obey their parents because they know it pleases their parent and that makes them feel good because they know the parent respects them. That's what he's talking about here. The sweetness of the lips increaseth learning. And then notice in Proverbs 16, in verse 24, and there are several more we could go to, but I'm going to stop with this one because I want to get one other point in. Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are as an honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. What about bitter words? They don't do any good, do they? Someone that's bitter and mad at the world, nobody wants to be around them. But here's someone whose words are sweet to the soul and health to the bones. This person can get on to you and you still feel good. That takes skill, doesn't it? This person can be pointing out something you need to change and they, they don't offend people when they do it. That takes skill. And then I want to look at one other aspect of this. In Proverbs 25 and verse 11, it says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Now, that's an interesting analogy. And for the sake of time, just suffice it to say that that's a beautiful thing. A word fitly spoken, and that refers to when you speak and how you say it. That just refers to an overall description of when you talk right. Say the right thing in the right way at the right time with pleasant speech. A word fitly spoken. But to illustrate that, let me show you two extremes. First of all, in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12, here's some Here's two extreme views of words that are not being fitly spoken. Proverbs chapter uh, 13 and verse 12. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. 
Listen to that. Hope deferred make it the heart sick. Let me give you a great example of this that I've told to several of the young couples uh, married or dating that don't have children yet. The negative comments are on the way as soon as your baby is born. Oh, they're sweet now. Just wait. Just wait till they're teenagers. You think it's hard now. You know what they're doing? They're putting off your hope. It's, you think it's bad now? You think the baby keeping you up at night now? You think that's bad? Man, just wait till they're teenagers. In other words, 15 years from now, this is what they're saying in effect. 15 years from now, it's going to be even worse. Is that giving you any hope? That's deferring hope. And that's also the words of someone who are manifesting that they are not wise. That they do not know the Bible. Because the Bible teaches everything you need to know so that you don't have to have that constant negative attitude toward children that the world has. Children are an heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is His reward. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he was old, and that doesn't mean that after he sows his wild oats for 20 years, he'll eventually come back to what he was taught when he grew up. The word old there means when he's grown. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's grown, he will not depart from it. You know, there was a time when children were viewed as a blessing to someone that was a farmer. You know why? Free labor. Because those children were going to be taught to work, to be an asset. But what I want you to see here is there are so many ways we can defer people's hope. I had someone tell me one time, and it might have been true, but I didn't need to hear it right then. I forgot what the situation was, but they said, well, it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. You ever had someone tell you that when you felt like you were already under all you could bear, and they say it's probably going to be, get worse before it gets better? Well, that may be the truth, but you don't need to focus their attention on it, do you? Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. I believe that's one of the reasons that suicide is so high today because people don't even have hope. It's not that their hope has been deferred by what someone said. They don't even have hope. See, a Christian, a child of God, can have peace when everything's going wrong in their circumstances because their peace is with the Lord. So that's one extreme where you can say things that are not fitting to say, that just defer someone's hope. Now look at the other extreme. This is in uh, Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 20. As he that taketh away a garment in cold weather and as vinegar upon niter, 
so is he that singeth songs to an heavy heart. In other words, it's not, what you're going through is no big deal. What are you worried about? Just think positive. It'll be okay. You ever had someone do you that way? You've got a heavy heart and somebody comes along singing songs. It's not the time to sing songs. Maybe you have severe depression, uh, clinical depression, which is an ongoing thing for months or maybe in years, and somebody says, well, man, you just need to think positive. <laughs> Singing songs to a heavy heart. It's so easy to do that, especially if you haven't experienced what they have. You know, I heard someone make this comment, and it helped me a lot one time. They said they, they were having a particular problem, and they said to the person that wasn't relating with them, they said, well, I know you can't, I know you, you haven't experienced this or you haven't felt this or you don't understand this, but can't you at least believe that I am experiencing it? That's good. You know, there's a lot of things I don't relate to in, as far as struggles, but there's struggles I have you probably don't relate to. You would say, Brother Buddy, why is that a struggle for you? Well, there's probably things about you I could say, why is that a struggle for you? You see, we all, as one preacher said, are totally depraved. It just breaks out in different ways. It reveals itself in different ways. He that singeth songs. Let me turn back to that one again. Proverbs 25 and 20. As he that taketh away a garment in cold weather and his vinegar upon night, or so is he that singeth songs to an heavy heart. What if, you know, it's 20 degrees outside and somebody comes and says, let me take your coat off. That's like singing songs to a heavy heart. It doesn't feel good. It makes it worse. And you know, there are things in the Bible that we don't personally understand, like this vinegar upon nitre. For the sake of time, instead of telling you exactly what that means, picture, uh, you know, dropping Alka-Seltzer in a glass of water. It just stirs you up. It affects you in the wrong way. It bothers you, dissolves you when someone sings merry songs to a heavy heart. I hope these things will help you to realize that we need to keep on praying that our words would be acceptable. And you want the church to be a witness? The witness of the church is no better than your witness tomorrow. However you behave tomorrow, however you talk to people, however you treat people, that's going to determine whether or not that person will ever even think about having a desire to come to church. But if they know you're compassionate and you, you are relating to them and you want to help them, if they know they can open up to you, that's a good witness for the church. You know, the pastor, the preacher especially needs to be that way. But every member needs to be a reflection of that as well. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.